you're listening to Coffee Talk with Father Brad. First, I want to say that y'all do have a great pastor here, Father Jamin. Um, I've learned a lot from him in this time and times like this when, uh, you know, you don't prep in seminary. They don't tell you all the situations you might find yourself in as a priest. Um, so it's been amazing to, to just be on his side and, and see how he's dealt with this. He's gone uh, to bat for you, to the diocese, and, and even written some of these policies themselves. So um, I just wanted to say that it's, and I'm not just saying that because he's listening in the sacristy, um, though he might be. So, yeah. <laughs> As a young priest, I get asked to do a lot of weddings, a lot of marriages. And I love marriage prep. I love meeting with couples and um, I particularly, my style is just to go right into it, not to beat around the bush, not to tiptoe around issues, but just uh, say the gospel and, and, and respect the couple and, and tell them the truth. In the first meeting, we always get to this part, it's called the prenuptial inquiry. It's basically questions that, that see whether they can get married at all. You know, there's some obstacles to marriage. One of the questions are, are you related? Okay, if you're related, you know, in a very close way, that's a problem, right? Okay. Uh, another question is, are you a religious sister? Are you a nun? <laughs> is he a priest? Okay, if, if so, the, the, the process stops, right? Um, one of the most interesting ones is, have you murdered your intended spouse's previous spouse? I have to ask that. I asked that. Do y'all remember this in the prenuptial inquiry? <laughs> Maybe back in the day they didn't ask that. But someone tried... And so now we have to ask the question. And it gives a, brings us to this one. It's more theological. Are you giving unconditional consent to this marriage? Unconditional consent. It always trips people up because they have to think of themselves. They have to define unconditional and then answer. And I can see the gears turning like, what does he want me to say? No. What is unconditional love? What does it mean? It means that your choice to love the other person, whether it be a spouse or a fiance or just a family member or a coworker, whatever, your choice to love the other person in front of you is not based on a condition that they must fulfill. Okay, in this context, uh, right, right, I'll love you as long as you stay employed. <laughs> you don't lose your job. Or I love you as long as you, uh, you know, you're, your aesthetic doesn't change. Right? Like you don't lose your hair or something. I love you. <laughs> I see all these kids looking at their dad's bald head. Okay. Um, <laughs> I love you as long as you love me. That's actually a condition. Wow. There are no conditions that must be met for them to earn your love. That's the definition of unconditional love. But there are conditions within your own life and actions and choices that must be met for you to actually be loving them. See, people misunderstand that. Your love has conditions. The conditions aren't on them for you to love them. The conditions are on you for you to love them. Basically put, love is not just a wishful desire or an emotion or an idea or even a word. Love is a verb. There's a song, I might have quoted this before, but I love, uh, I love listening to John Mayer. I think he's a great guitarist. Um, write some great songs. One of them is called Love is a Verb. 
Love is a verb, it ain't a thing. It's not something you own, it's not something you scream. When you show me love, I don't need your words. Yeah, love ain't a thing, love is a verb. I wish John would live it out in his life, you know? I mean, I'm not, I'm not gonna get into him and Taylor Swift's relationship, but uh, we're moving on. But it, love is a verb. It's an action. You do it. You live it. It's not just a word. You know, this kind of stands in opposition to some denominations' theology of salvation. The fancy word soteriology. How are we saved? How are we justified? How are we in communion with Christ? It's not just by saying a sentence. There might be some churches or some denominations that say, hey, as long as you say you profess with your lips that, you know, Jesus is my Lord and Savior and boom, saved, always saved. That's it. That's salvation. Well, that's not a Christian understanding through the scriptures and church history. That's not an understanding of what a relationship is. Right? Love is a verb. You have to live it. Right? We have an altar call. You can have an altar call where you walk up and say the words, just like you can have a marriage where the couple walks down the aisle and you got a nice dress on, right? And everyone's ha- having a blast and everyone's crying. There's Kleenexes everywhere. You know, the camera person is shooting. They're right in my face, you know, with their camera. You can say all the right words here because it's easy to say it here. Everyone wants you to say it here. Everyone's expecting you to say it here. If you don't say it there, we got a problem. But are you going to live it out there? When the band stops, there's no more parties. Nobody's watching. That's when love kicks in. Same goes for the priesthood. Any vocation, right? Any vow that we make, any commitment. All right, I walked down aisle two. I laid on the ground at the cathedral. My face hit the ground. And y'all sang the litany of saints over me. It was easy that day. But what about when the bishop sends you somewhere you don't want to go? I'm not saying anything about y'all. I love this assignment, okay? okay. <laughs> I said that at St. Thomas. They're like, what? <laughs> no, I, I love this. But let's say, hypothetically, the bishop sends me somewhere that's just... I don't want to go there. Well, guess what? Am I going to love or am I not? Am I going to fulfill my vocation or am I not? Love is a verb. Jesus explains this beautifully and simply in today's gospel. Whoever has my commandments and observes them is the one who loves me. It's a sentence. Not even going to read further. Whoever has my commandments. So you got to know the commandments. And you got to follow them. And then you love God. Don't tell me you love God if you're not striving with all your being to follow his commandments. It's not about what you say. It's the truth for all of us. Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats. You know this. You don't want to be a goat. The goats go to hell. The sheep go to heaven. How do you become a sheep? Jesus tells us, whenever you serve the least of your brothers, you served me and you will be a sheep. You fed me, you clothed me, you cared about me, you loved me, you worked for me. And then you'll be a sheep. Another place he says, 
See, this is, this is why the once saved, always saved, just profess it with your mouth doesn't work because Jesus didn't say that. Not all who say, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Who will enter the kingdom of heaven? The ones who love, right? Who follow the commandments, as he said today in the gospel. Observe them, the ones who love me. There are no conditions that need to be met for others to earn your love. That is true. There are no conditions that God needs to meet in order to earn your love. He doesn't have to give you anything. You should just love him, regardless of what you get. But there's absolutely conditions that need to be met if you are actually going to love them or love God. I commend you for being here. Why? Because you don't have to be. You don't have to be. You don't have to get out in the heat, socially distance and wash your hands and have us point a temperature thermometer at your face and wear a mask. You didn't have to do that, but here you are. Why? Because you love Jesus. And maybe because your mom woke you up this morning. Because <laughs> they love Jesus a lot and you should too. So I commend you for that. Praise God. Let us not just say the words, but live it with our life.